Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello. I'm looking forward to sharing with you this next guest here. It's Amanda Mitchell. She's the founder of OurCorporateLife.com, and she has some really cool perspectives about just that, what happens in the day-in, day-out corporate life, the sources of politics and drama and insanity and how that can be reduced. So you're going to learn, one, approaches to identify and eliminate unnecessary suffering at work, two, how to deal with the pot stirrers at your job, and three, the importance of focusing on your agenda before anyone else's. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to things mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep51. And if you just want those takeaways faster in an email, you can read in under two minutes each morning. Sign up for the Gold Nugget email list over there at awesomeatyourjob.com. Here's a bit about Amanda. She is an executive coach and strategist specializing in helping senior executives deal with disruptive drama within their teams. An advertising agency veteran, she experienced firsthand the business implications of corporate drama, both with her Fortune 500 clients and within the Manhattan ad agency she led. A practical problem solver, she founded Our Corporate Life at OurCorporateLife.com to help executives solve the problems no one else wants to deal with. She has been published in Bloomberg, Business Week, and quoted in Fast Company, CNBC.com, and Monster.com. She lives in New Jersey, which she calls the land of enchantment with her family. Here's Amanda. Amanda, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. My pleasure. Now, you referred to New Jersey as the land of enchantment. What's the story there? Everybody gives New Jersey such a hard time. And I think it's just a clever marketing ploy because New Jersey doesn't want other people to know how fantastic it is because there is everything here. There's mountains, there's ocean, there's lakes, there's it's just got everything you could possibly want including high taxes. But beyond that, it is fantastic. So as a transplant, I just love New Jersey. Well, it's so funny because I think I actually watched most episodes of the Jersey Shore. (laughs) (laughs) That isn't New Jersey. (laughs) Come on. And then when I I have a gig there, you know, I'm doing some training or whatnot. It's usually like the one-way streets like trip me up a little bit. It seems like they're a little bit more rigid about you got to keep following this route for a while before we give you the opportunity to correct your mistake. It's been my experience in New Jersey. Not that you're reading into anything. (laughs) (laughs) I should maybe just know how to navigate better is really what it boils down to. Uh, So I was glad to hear. It's good to hear you. You like your land. Yes, I do. Well, I love so much of what you had to share over at uh, ourcorporatelife.com and in our back and forth exchanges. And so I thought, you know, one point in which you and I really have some, some great kind of philosophical alignment is on this, this piece around unnecessary suffering that professionals experience and, and how it can really be prevented. So why don't you open us up by sharing a little bit of what do you mean when you say unnecessary suffering? What kinds of situations... And and stories are you referencing when you kind of use that blanket term? Well, there are so many, it's hard to just pick a few. I think anybody that's been in the corporate um, work environment has been in situations where it looks like people are making stupid decisions. And 
and you're having to deal with whatever those stupid decisions are. And usually it means you've got to do extra work. And then it ties into that whole not using the resources that you have and you get into these whole, you know, finger pointing and inefficiency and unfairness and you go down a rabbit hole of why are things so bad at work and a lot of that is because of structural reasons because most companies were set up when we were in a coming off the industrial revolution so it was more of you know people were commodities for want of a better word they weren't treated as individuals because they were there to make a factory go and a lot of our Things that we still use in corporate are based on that, like how we measure success. It's based on efficiency and effectiveness. That's a factory kind of measure. It's not a knowledge worker kind of measure. So part of the suffering that you see is related to that kind of thing that shows up as stupid decisions. And and the other part of that is, is that depending on what you're orientation is in terms of where you are in the hierarchy, you may or may not know the context for a lot of the decisions. And that's why they look stupid. I mean, they look smart to somebody, but, you know, it's not necessarily communicated. So there's a lot of gnashing of teeth and unnecessary resistance and struggle against people in the workplace when in fact a lot of it is related to structure. Uh, Certainly, absolutely. It shows up all the time, whether that seems like senseless meetings or anything uh, within that, that realm. And, and one area in particular that you, you've kind of drawn some nice diagrams around to explore is the, the corporate insanity cycle. And so can you tell us a little bit of what is that and how does that show up in practice? Well, it shows up in meetings, actually. That's a good place to start. I mean, everybody... I don't know anybody who loves meetings, and most people say they have too many. And in meetings, generally what happens is is that you're ending up with a lot more work based on usually factors that are not fully understand by the people who are giving you the extra work. And rather than tell you that, there's, you know, a lot of backstory and hemming and hawing. So you are doing things because you are requested to, not because they make sense necessarily. Like they're always done that way, or this is what we need because we've always had this chart. I mean, it's not necessarily something that's making sense in the current scheme of things. Now, I'm talking about most of my clients are Fortune 500, so they're big companies that are established. So changing them is like turning a ship. It's little bit over time. It's not a nimble startup kind of a situation where you don't have to have these kinds of inefficiencies and what appear to be unfairness kinds of experiences. And you also have like people set up to compete against each other by their bosses because they don't want to be threatened by each other. You know, they'd rather have their their subordinates fight it out among themselves than to threaten their job. And you know, that's part of a dysfunction of the person, but also the environment that allows it to happen. So there's a whole bunch of different things that can happen in an environment that really just roll up to stupid business because there's no benefit to the business and there's certainly no benefit to people. Now, in your diagram of the the corporate insanity cycle, I kind of really like the way it kind of flowed into a a circle, a cycle, in which things react to previous things and then snowball a little bit. Could you maybe walk us through like, hey, first A happens, then B occurs, which makes C all the worse. Could you maybe walk us through a loop of that cycle? 
Sure. So if we start with the seemingly stupid decisions, so we start there, that leads to inefficiency because we're given work for extra work for no reason. And the reason that's a problem is, is if you don't know why you're doing something, you can't make the best decisions for whatever it is that you're doing. So it's very likely you're going to be inefficient. And that leads to unfairness because you're not using your resources wisely, your time, your people that you have reporting to you or the money, the budget that you have. So you're wasting things that you could use in other places if you only knew why you were doing what you were doing. That rolls up to finger pointing up to the person or people who have made these stupid decisions because it has created a cycle where it's a lose, lose, lose. So completely the antithesis of what they tell you they want at, in work situations. No one's doing this maliciously. Part of it's just the work world hasn't adapted to the way the real world is behaving. And, you know, you've got lots of generations in the workplace and people who are married to old ways of doing things with new business realities. And it's problematic. Oh, I hear you. Okay. So I've got a problem neatly defined there. It's a stinker. So, so tell us, Amanda, you're a professional in an organization. You don't have all the power from on high to make blanket changes and decisions. What do you do to kind of inoculate yourself, stay, stay happy and focused, productive, engaged? What are some, some key tips, tactics, strategies, takeaways, stuff to do? Well, I think the main thing you want to do is when you think about that cycle, that's all about somebody else having the power. You know, they're making the decisions, they're giving you the extra work, they're not giving you the resources. What you want to do yourself is you want to pull that back inside of you and choose how you're going to interpret what's happening. That's a very powerful tool to have. You know, recognize that we make meaning. That's what human beings do. We take random facts and we make up a story as a way to understand things and to remember things, quite frankly. And it's the whole idea of like, all of a sudden your boss starts closing their door and, you know, day later, everybody thinks they're being fired because it's a change in behavior. So, you know, all of a sudden the door is closed. You're not as available. Oh my God, everybody's getting fired. That's a disempowering story that we've made up because that's how we're wired. You know, that's our saber-toothed tiger coming after us. You know, we have to be ready for it. What we want to do is take that same scenario and make up something neutral or positive. Why not make up a story that's going to empower you versus disempower you because you're going to go through same emotions and use all that same energy, whether it's true or not. So why not create a story where you're the hero so that you can come from a place of confidence and power regardless of what's happening around you? Oh, now that's, that's fascinating. So indeed, a door closes and then you create a, a whole story associated with what that means and that in turn evokes all kinds of emotions. So can you give us an example? So what story might you create in which you're the hero? Well, you could make the story up, which is equally true, is that the reason that your boss is less available to you right now is because that they so trust you with everything, they don't feel the need to check in. You're the hero. You know, you can make up the idea that or make up the story that your boss is unavailable to you because there are big things coming in terms of what they're going to do with the department. And he's trying to figure out or he or she is trying to figure out how to let you know that, you know, you'll be inheriting it and they're going to be moving on. 
Like there's all kinds of ways to make up stories that are equally true and powerful. And, you know, you touched on it just a second ago when you were talking about how when you were just rephrasing what I talked about, it's that ability to choose to respond and not to react because reactions are contagious. So if you hear somebody say, oh my God, we're all getting fired. It doesn't take long for everybody to think that, but you want to make sure that it really is true before you act like that, that is the case. And you go through and, you know, take steps potentially to act on it. And so I'm so fascinated by the stuff you say, we as humans, we make stories. It's what we do. And I buy that. I think that it is uniquely human to create a story. I guess, to what extent is it possible? I'd love to get your read on this to just be like, you close the door because it didn't feel like hearing some noise. I guess that's still a story, even if it's like very proximate. and Right. That's a neutral. That's yeah. a neutral interpretation. Everything isn't relative to us, which is really the other point, which is don't take things personally. A person's behavior in general says more about them than it does about you. So like if they're giving you unsolicited advice, that's more about something about them than you. Because if you're not asking for it, what's their purpose in telling you? So again, don't react. Just don't respond. You know, think about what you're hearing and why and decide whether or not you want to respond or react to whatever this person is saying that whole kill them with kindness idea is a truism because it's harder to be mean to somebody that you're friendly with so really it is a good practice in the workplace to make good relationships and if you are not having good relationships try to keep them neutral this is lovely so all right so some key takeaways are you choose the interpretation go ahead and make up a story make up a meaning that works for you it's positive or neutral And secondly, you don't assume that something that shows up and happens is about you. It may be or or not be. And and so what are some other key things that we should do at work to keep things happier and more productive? So after you've chosen your mindset, so to speak, I think you want to identify and address what is draining your energy in your environment. There are a lot of things that we do that we just get in a habit. They're coming from a good place, but they really over time drain the energy that we have. And since it's limited, we want to align our energy with the priorities that we have. So you want to prioritize based on importance, not urgency, because that whole urgency is contagious. That's somebody else's agenda. That's why I recommend to clients that when they come in in the morning, don't open to email immediately. That's someone else's agenda. Open to your calendar. That's your agenda, literally. You know, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? So you want to keep your focus on what's important to you and your job so that you are able to achieve what you need to achieve. The other part of that is you want to focus on only doing your job as opposed to everybody else's job. And this is a thing that I see a lot, especially from people who are doing the right thing. Like they want to help, they want to do what needs to be done and they're talented so they can do many different things. So I call it the stage manager syndrome. What happens is, is they fill all the gaps on a project or on a task or whatever it is, helping their teammates and whatnot. So that when things get done, nobody notices that it's them. But when it, something goes wrong, they're left holding the bag. And why that's critically important is, is besides expanding the scope of your job, which means that you're basically taking a pay cut because you're working a whole lot longer you know, than you, you should be, is it hides a problem in the business. 
if somebody else can't do whatever it is they're being hired to do, you know, that's something that the business needs to know because if you leave, then they're going to have a bigger problem than if they knew it up front. The other thing is, is that the person that you're compensating for might might believe that they can't do it or not know they need to learn whatever it is. So you, in your effort to be helpful, you might be being unhelpful. So there's a lot of reasons why you don't want to do those types of things. And yet they're for the best of reasons. So if you can focus on doing your job, and that sounds crazy because it sounds Mm anti-team, but you, you know, prioritize your job. And when you decide to do things beyond the scope of your job, make sure it's for the right reasons and it really has a benefit for the team. I'm not saying say it out loud to them, but just be conscious of the choices that you're making because, again, you don't have all the energy in the world and you want to make sure you're using it in the way that you're meant to use it for the business. That makes great sense. And because I think it's easy to drift, absolutely, particularly if you're ambitious and helpful and friendly, to get sucked into doing some, some other things. And we could talk about a whole another issue of performance review and evaluation cycles and how that unfolds. But there's a set of goals or things that are expected from you. And if you're the most helpful person around, that may not be the thing that gets seen, evaluated in the actual review cycle. And you might actually find yourself in, in a tough spot in terms of your, your career and advancement and promotion and or getting fired. It goes to that big rock story. Do you know that story? It's often used as a, an opening to a, a presentation where there's a jar and then there's a couple of big rocks and then there's a bunch of little rocks. And the goal is, is to get them all into the jar. And the only way to do that is to put the big rocks in first and then put the little rocks in and then they fall in around it. It's the idea that you pick the tasks that are important for your job. Those are your priorities or your big rocks. And then you do the little things. If you focus on all those little rocks you do a lot of tasks, but at the end of the day, you have nothing to show for it. And when you get to performance review time, you're stumped about what did I achieve? You worked a whole lot and you worked really hard, but what did you achieve is the question. Oh, this is good. This is good. Well, I mean, that's not a good situation. But content. <laughs> <laughs> so what else would you recommend are some of your, your top tips for, for boosting the, the sense of, of happiness and peace in terms of in an ocean of insanity, you've got an island of, you know what, things are working just fine here at my workstation. What are some additional things you recommend? I think one of the really powerful um, quotes I ever heard, and really, I wish I'd heard it sooner, was that you're the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with. And that's from Jim Rohn. And the idea is, is that if you're spending 12 hours a day with the people at work, which is not uncommon in a lot of places, they're, the way they see the world and the way they interact with people is how you're going to see the world. So you've got a bunch of people who are negative or see the glasses half full, who believe that everything is a crisis. You're going to be that way too. It's hard not to be because you are, that's your environment. Now, not only is it stressful, but it can limit your thinking. So if you're problem solving and you're in a world where it's people are seeing what's not there as opposed to what is there, it makes it hard to be innovative because you've trained your brain to only look for what's the problem, not what's the opportunity. So it has a lot of implications beyond just your mood. 
So you want to make sure that you pick people that really support who and what you want to be, if at all possible. Now, I know you can't choose everybody that you work with, but you can limit the amount of drama that they bring into your environment. And that's really important because you want to, basically, you're trying to create a supportive environment for yourself. You want to surround yourself with those people and ideas that pull you toward what you want, meaning, you know, the excellence at work and doing a great job and whatever else it is, and try to downplay or limit those naysayers like you're going to have them but like limit the impact they have so that might be the way to limit the drama is understand that those people who use drama use it as a way to get their own needs met it's something about you know they're probably feeling undervalued in some place in their life and so they're trying to get validated so if you can understand that that's the genesis of the drama you can see through what's happening and not get hooked into it And that is incredibly freeing because if you're not hooked into the drama, you can see what's happening and make a choice. And really, that's what it's about is having the choice to decide how you want to behave as opposed to being at the mercy of whatever the environment is about. So, you know, that's one big thing about really thinking about how to set your environment up is who are your influencers and influences and how much influence are you going to let them have? Oh, yes. Good thinking. And so, and how does one go about disrupting the drama if it shows up or limiting the influence of one who is trying to, to bring that into your world? One of the things I think you want to do is people who are, let's just call them potsters, you know, they're trying to make drama out of something. One of the things they're looking for is they're looking to be heard. So if you ignore them, you're going to make it worse because that will escalate it. It's like a, a child. It's like they just get louder and higher <laughs> as they try to get heard. So what you want to do is you want to acknowledge but not validate whatever it is that they're saying so that they understand that you've heard them, but it's not that you agree with them. So that might look like or sound like you would say something and I would say, well, that's interesting. you know. And then you go on to whatever the rest of the, the sentence is that is about something else. But you don't want to validate whatever they're saying. So an example, a personal example is that my, um, my mother was a worry ward. So she would just make me crazy with the worrying. You know, she would say something. I'd be like, well, that's interesting because, you know, worry never paid the bills or, you know, worry never did whatever. It'd make her crazy, but it did stop it. So you really want to do that thing where you, you're acknowledging that you heard them and you're not playing ball is basically the message that you're giving them. I think you also want to limit your time with whoever that person is and make it clear, if at all possible, if it's somebody you're working with, if it's not a choice, you have to, then I think that you want to be very clear about where you want to focus, which means that when they start going down a drama path, you interrupt and redirect back to whatever it is that you're supposed to be talking about, like whatever the topic is. So it could sound like, well, let's not get off on that sidetrack. Let's stay focused on blah, blah, blah. You acknowledge that where they're taking you is, a, is off topic. So again, you're saying, I've heard you, but you're taking them right back to where they need to be. It's a discipline for you because you're the one having to do the work of keeping them from going down the path. But the payoff is tremendous. I hear you. Okay. Well, so, so this is a nice, a nice lineup. You tell me, 
Is there anything else you want to make sure that we cover off before we shift gears and and talk about some of your favorite things here? I think one of the things that is really important, and I think people in their effort to be excellent at work often lose sight of, is that you're more than your work. You have so much time that you need to put into things. And, you know, I can understand why it becomes all consuming. And certainly I've made that mistake myself. But you can do things to reconnect with what's important to you in a very easy way. And so a couple of tips for that, just to keep you focused and remembering who you are is like, listen to a favorite song every day. So when you're commuting or whatever, like, and you know how music takes you back to a certain time or place, pick a time when you were really happy or really excited about something or pick something you really like now. Music can take you on a trip. So that's a great way to just reorient yourself to takes no energy. It's a pleasant experience and it reminds you of who you are. I think the other part is, is that it's very easy to lose contact with people because it is so all consuming and people let relationships go because they think they don't have the time, but you really can reconnect without using a whole lot of time. Whatever it is, like if it's a text or an email or through LinkedIn, just reach out and stay connected by Hi, how are you? It doesn't have to be genius work here. It's just stay connected. That's really what makes the world go round is your, your relationships with other people. And if you let work take over your life, you're going to miss out on that or have to recreate it later. And that's much, much harder. Oh, yes. And there's so much good research in the positive psychology world associated with uh, the social connections leading to happiness and success and, and, and all sorts of good things. And it's the wrong instinct to try to hunker down because you're too busy for people, but rather if you're, when you're too busy, that's maybe when you need the most. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Well, well, this is fun. This is fun. So, so now I'd love to hear uh, about some of your favorite things. Could you open us up by sharing a favorite quote, something that you look to that you find inspiring? I don't know how inspiring this is, but it's very practical. Shoot the dogs early. <laughs> Well, it's like, you know, when something's not working, whether it's a person that you're working with or a project isn't going to go right, rather than try to make things fit, sometimes it's better to just acknowledge it's not working and shoot the dogs early. That I find it really has saved a lot of agita over time to be able to recognize that because often other people are looking for someone to say it. And say, you know, this doesn't make any sense. You know, we need to do X, Y, Z. So shoot the dogs early is is one of my practical things I think of and quote. And the other one in the same dog theme is like that whole idea of wag more, bark less. You know, it's it's a it's a short life. So let's have more wagging and less barking. Oh, I'm on board. I'm on board. And how about a, a favorite study or experiment or piece of research you find yourself citing often? Well, the things that I focus on are really about the business impact of the corporate drama. Because a lot of times my clients have to support why it makes sense to treat people right, which you wouldn't think you'd have to, but, you know, they're looking for studies. So what we've done is we've gone through all the studies and actually made infographics that we've got on our site. If anybody would like to use them, they're under the corporate drama tab. And basically they pull all the research that we've found about what keeps people engaged, what makes people happy at work. Bad bosses are bad business is one of the infographics. And really, I think the one study that everybody refers to, I guess it's the golden golden standard here, is the Gallup State of the uh, 
workplace report. That's where that engagement number comes from. So that's like a typical one that I referred to. But honestly, I use the compilations much more because they tell the story of the fact that if you have a good staff, a happy staff, you've got good profits. I mean, that's why our tagline is common sense, not common practice. It's not brain surgery. It just isn't happening. Right. And how about a favorite book? I really found um, thought-provoking. It's been out for a couple of years now. It's uh, Conscious Business by Fred Kaufman. It's about expressing your values through your work. And I feel like that a lot of us try to do that, whether they're positive values or negative values. But it was good read because it talks about becoming aware and present and responsible for your own happiness. And I think that that's really, really important because you can control that. And a lot of things in the world you can't control, but you can control your own happiness. Right on. And how about a favorite a tool, whether it's a piece of hardware, software, a gadget, something that, that you find handy for being awesome at your job? I think a tool would be um, HemingwayApp.com. Are you familiar with that? Sure, I'm not. Tell us more. Okay, so that really helps you with your writing. Powerful writing is so important. It's about having clear, active voice writing. So what you do is you write whatever you're writing, and then you open Hemingway app, and it will analyze it. It will tell you, okay, this is an adverb, and it's too passive. Change it. This is uh, sixth grade reading level. You might want it higher or lower. It really helps you see what it is that you've created and make it better. Cool. Well, I'm going to try it out. Thank you. Hmm? And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that's really boosted your effectiveness? Well, I mentioned it already. It's start the day with your calendar, not your email. I mean, email, I actually put a timer on it to see how much time I was using and I was horrified. So by just focusing on my schedule and being disciplined about how I use the web, I've been incredibly efficient comparative to before. And I was efficient before, so. (laughs) Oh, exciting. Yes, Uh, it's compelling. And how about uh, a favorite sort of a resonance nugget or or piece that that you share that gets people really nodding their heads, taking notes, retweeting uh, when you're doing some some training or consulting or coaching work? What's something that really seems to to, to vibe with people? I think the big one is, is that if you've got responsibility for something, make sure you also have the authority for it. A lot of times you get the responsibility for a project, but you don't have the ultimate authority. And that means that you don't have control. So a lot of people get confused. They think when they have responsibility, they actually have control. And that's not the case. And they can kill themselves trying to make it be perfect. And yet, you know, it's not possible. So make sure that if you're going to be responsible for the outcome, that you have both responsibility and the authority. If not, then back up your expectations of what it is that you can produce or, you know, what it is that you can achieve. And how about the, the best way to find you if folks want to learn more or get in touch? We can certainly go to um, our site, you know, ourcorporatelife.com. You mentioned that. We're also on Twitter every day. So that's Our Corp Life. Sounds bad because it sounds like a corpse, but I swear it's not. We're there all the time. And then um, we um, have a, a free biweekly easing that I think is a great tool. Of course, I write it. So, of course, I think it's a great tool. But I hear it back from our subscribers. It basically is meant to help you fill the void if you don't have a mentor or you don't have um, programs at work that can help you learn how to navigate the corporate workplace. It's only a page, comes out every other Tuesday, and you can subscribe at ourcorporatelife.com forward slash subscribe. Oh, perfect. Thank you. 
And a, uh, a favorite challenge or, or parting call to action you'd like to leave folks with who are seeking to be more awesome at their jobs? I think it's don't leave your work happiness to chance. You really, it's, it's so important to take the steps to make sure that the time that you spend at work is as happy as you can make it. It's amazing. You know, we all know we spend a ton of time at work, but why not take control and make it as happy as we can? And I don't mean unicorn and rainbow kind of happy, but I mean like a practical way to move forward, not um, not escapism, but just deal with what we have to deal with and, and limit the limit the downside. Amanda, thanks so much for sharing all this just fantastic, good, rich stuff. I, I wish you tons of luck as you're doing your thing over at ourcorporatelife.com and with your clients. And it's been a real treat having your perspectives here. Thanks, Pete. It's been great to be with you. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. And I've really been chewing on that piece associated with humans make meaning. It's what we do. And even if there is no meaning to be had, we'll find out some meaning and put it on there. And that's just been interesting to me and how that has implications associated with our emotional reactions and the stage you're in for the next thing that comes after that. So anyway, that was cool for me. I hope it was cool for you. And again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to things mentioned, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep51. And I hope you'll stick with us. Punch the subscribe button if you haven't already for our next episode, number 52, with David Kadavi, who has some really brilliant views on your brain state and mind and, and what it means in terms of what sort of tasks you're most suited to do in a given moment. So that was a real fun conversation. I hope you enjoy that and that I get to catch you then. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.